Bless you guys. Are you glad to be here today? Yes. Man, I am. Thank you, praise team, for uh, leading us in worship. What, what a great time of worshiping the Lord, and I'm glad to be able to do that with you. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, first week of July, I preached from Jeremiah. Uh, the nation of Israel was at a crossroads, and uh, they had turned their backs on God and their faces towards idols, and uh, I believe that was a message that we needed uh, on our celebration weekend uh, here in America. What an applicable word. Uh, but then, you know what, I, I haven't been able to get out of Jeremiah. I really hadn't planned on preaching a series from Jeremiah, but I just can't get out of the book. So uh, I've just been hanging with Jeremiah the last few weeks, and uh, we're going to do that again this morning. Our sermon is entitled, Broken Cisterns. And that is a phrase that is found in Jeremiah chapter 2. So let's just read some of this together, okay? Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. And this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. And then skip down to verse 9. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kadar and observe closely. See if there ever has been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? And then in parentheses he says... Yet they are not gods at all. And they weren't. They were just pieces of wood and, and stones. But my people, God says, have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot even hold water. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts today and speak your word into it. I pray, dear Lord, that we would turn from our own idols and that we would turn back to you. Lord, help us to hear the word for today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to speak it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, one of the big issues that God has with his people all the way through the book of Jeremiah is idolatry. In fact, over the last two weeks, I've read this one verse from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 27. God is saying this about his people. He's saying this about the church, the people of God. He, he says that they say to a stick of wood, you are my father. And they are saying to a rock or a stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. <laughs> you know, and guys, if that weren't so sad, I would have to laugh at it. Because it is a snapshot of the people of God today. 
You know, we are serving so many other idols. It may not be a stick of wood, nor may be it be a stone, but we have our own idols. And we have turned our backs to God and our faces to these idols. Yet, when push comes to shove and the rubber meets the road, we realize that these idols can't save us. And so we cry out to God, Lord, you save us. So it comes out of this. What is an idol? Well, I've, I've got a working definition for an idol that we're going to use today. And you might jot this down on the back of your bulletin. An idol is anyone, so it can be a person or anything, it could be a thing, that takes the place of God as the ultimate source of meaning, fulfillment, and also security in my life. And we're going to use that definition a couple of times this morning. But that is what an idol is in our life. So the people of God no longer turn their faces to God and worship Him only. Instead, they are turning their faces to these images that they have made with their own hands that represent gods whom they think have the power to keep them safe and even make them happy. So there's something that they love and something that they worship and something that they value more than God. And with their faces turned to these idols, they have literally turned their backs to God. And this is a huge offense to Almighty God. And this is not just happening right here in Jeremiah. This is literally something that happens throughout the Bible with the people of God. And so let me spend a little bit of time teaching you this morning from the Word of God, giving us some instruction and explanation on the subject of idolatry and how it can infiltrate into our own life. Now, I don't want to bore you. Please tell me you're not bored right now. Huh? Okay. But we need to spend some time looking at this, and so let's study the Word of God. We'll begin right here in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God says, I am going to bring charges against you, and I will bring charges against your children's children. So as I read this verse, I realize, you know what? This is not the first time God has brought these charges against his people, nor is it going to be the last time God brings these charges against his people because this is a reoccurring theme in the Bible and in our own lives. We turn our backs to God and our faces towards these idols. Now in the first part of this chapter... Verses 1 and 2, the Lord is recalling a time when his people loved him exclusively. God was their first love, but now they have become unfaithful to him. It's like a wife who is forsaking the love of her husband, and she is chasing after other lovers. And the picture here is of God filing charges in a courtroom against his people for the crime of spiritual adultery. Now, why in the world would God be so indignant over this that he would literally bring up charges against his people? Well, I think the answer goes back to the original covenant that God made with his people. And so let's go back and read that covenant. It's found in the book of Exodus 
chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Now, this rings a bell with some of you because you remember this is where God made the covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, and he gave them the Ten Commandments, all right, the big ten. This is how Exodus chapter 20 begins. And God spoke all of these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And here is commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm going to let that soak in. Period. No other gods before me. Commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a, I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. All right, so the Lord is making a covenant with his people through Moses. And here's what the Lord says. Here's the covenant. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I am going to guard you. I am going to guide you. I am going to provide for you. I am going to forgive your sins. God says, that's my part of the covenant. Here is your part of the covenant, my people. You are to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you are to obey the commandments that I have given to you. These 10 commandments that we read right here. And the very first commandment of the 10 is, you are to have no other gods before the Lord God. I, mean, I don't know how much simpler we can make this. God is to be number one in our life. And everything else, long ways down here, number two and following. No other gods before me. And then commandment number two is that they are not to make any idols or any images that represent these gods that they are to bow down to. And then God gives them the rest of the commandments. Now, most biblical scholars actually believe that the entire list of commandments is really about the exclusive worship of the Lord. Because honestly, the root issue to all the other commands is the sin of idolatry. At the root of misusing God's name is idolatry. At the root of breaking the Sabbath or dishonoring your father or your mother. At the root of murder and sexual immorality and adultery at the root of stealing and lying and coveting is really idolatry. Worshiping something or someone more than God himself. And so why is this a huge offense to God? Well, right here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it tells us, you read it out loud, it's because our God is a, he's a jealous God. Now, I'll be honest with you, I think we have a hard time computing this and, and figuring this out in our own mind because of what we consider jealousy to be. Have you ever had that jealous feeling kind of grow up in, in, your, in your chest? It's like, I guess the first time I really felt jealousy is maybe when I was in high school and I saw my girlfriend talking to some other boy at the water fountain. 
You know, that, that jealousy kind of erupted in my life. You know, I had a hard time computing that feeling to, to what it says about God and God being a jealous God. You know, my jealousy is pretty petty, honestly, and very selfish. It was her, his, her cousin she was talking to. Uh, just making that up. On the other hand, God's jealousy is holy and it's righteous because God knows he is truly the only one who deserves our deepest affections and emotions. God knows that he made us with this hole in our heart, this longing that only he can satisfy. And it makes our God jealous when he sees us, his children, pursuing these other loves or these other lovers. And here in Jeremiah chapter 2, God brings his people to court. And he calls the nations of the world to be witnesses to this court scene. Look at verse 10. He says, cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kadar and observe closely. See if there ever has been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? And then again in parentheses that little phrase, <laughs> and they're not even gods. You know? They're not even God. Has a nation ever changed its gods? And then he says, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for what? Worthless idols. Now, the Bible gives us an ugly description of what this idolatry looked like in Jeremiah's day. I want you to make a note on your bulletin there. Go home to, today and read the book or the chapter, 2 Kings chapter 23. Go home and read 2 Kings chapter 23. It, it describes the, the efforts of this noble young king whose name is Josiah. And he is ridding Judah of all of her idols. Now, Josiah was the king when Jeremiah came on the scene in chapter 1. And remember last week we talked Jeremiah was just a young man when God called him, probably 16 years old. It is the period of time when Josiah in 2 Kings 23 purged the land of all of its idols and literally cleaned out the temple. So let me start right there. I'm not boring you, am I? Hang with me. This is pretty good stuff. Let's go back and think about when Solomon built that very first temple. Man, it was a glorious time for the nation of Israel and the people of God. That temple was dedicated to the worship of Almighty God. And at the very center of it was the Holy of Holies, where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. And it signified God was in that place. That was God's house. And people came there to worship God. And over and over again, the Lord made it very clear. This is my house. You are to worship only me in this house. We got that? Fast forward 300 years to Josiah's reign and Jeremiah's day. And this is what you would find at the temple of God. 
inside that very same temple were all sorts of paraphernalia used to worship the pagan gods and goddesses of the nations around Israel. There were lewd objects dedicated to the worship of the pagan goddess Asherah. Sacred chariots and horses dedicated to the worship of the sun god were parked right outside the temple gates. In rooms adjacent to the temple, both male and female prostitutes offered their services as an act of worship to the fertility gods. All over Jerusalem and in the outlying areas, there were shrines where pagan priests helped people to offer incense to the false god of Baal. And while they were there, they might engage in just a little bit of sexual immorality as an act of pagan worship. So literally, idol worship had become the norm for the people of God. And in the temple of God was its very center. The place dedicated for the worship of God had literally become a house of ill repute. And all kinds of sins were happening there. Now, I don't know if you can envision this, but let, let's, let's just use our own facility as an example. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to compare this building to the temple of God, but in a sense it is. I understand that this is just brick and mortar blocks, sheetrock, wood, carpet. I understand that's what this room is. In and of itself, there is nothing special about this room. There's nothing sacred about this building. Other than the fact we have dedicated it to the worship of God. Okay? This is where we come to publicly meet with God and worship God on his day. And quite literally, God is in this place. I mean, he's here. It's his house. We've dedicated this house to worshiping God. Let's jettison 30 years from now. Let's suppose this building in this room becomes a, a gay and lesbian bar. <laughs> now, that's hard for you to imagine that, isn't it? Please say yes. <laughs> it's impossible to believe that. But yet that is exactly what we're seeing in this particular scene. God's house had lost its holiness. People no longer went there to worship God or to see God. Why? They had turned their backs on God. And now they were worshiping these idols, these false gods. Well, one day a priest was in one of the storerooms of that temple and he was cleaning debris around. Maybe he was a summer intern. <laughs> and all of a sudden he found this scroll. It was an ancient scroll. And he opened it up and he started reading it. And he couldn't believe the words that he was reading. And so he hightailed to King Josiah. And he said, Josiah, almighty king, this is what I found in the temple of God. These are God's commandments. The book, he read the word of God. And Josiah, the young king, was appalled at what he was reading. For he read the word of God, the commandments of God. He read the covenant between God and his people. And he realized that God's house had become shambles. And so he started.
up the house of God and burned all of this paraphernalia. He cleaned it all up. Problem. You see, the idols are now out of the temple in Jerusalem, but they're not gone from the heart. idols. It's quite another thing to root those idols out of our hearts. Crabgrass in your yard. Anybody like crabgrass? Man, I hate crabgrass. You know, you spend all day manicuring your lawn. First thing, you sharpen your, your, your blade on your mower and you level it. Billy, we make sure everything's level so we get a good cut. And we cut the yard, manicure it, trim it, edge it, weed eat. Man, it's looking good. Ours is the best looking yard on the block because we work so hard at it. And you go to bed that night, the next morning you get up and have a cup of coffee and you go out on the back porch to enjoy the beautiful manicured lawn. And what do you see? Cotton picking crabgrass. <laughs> it shot up like two inches above the regular grass. Can I tell you something? The only way you're going to kill crabgrass is by pulling it from the roots. You've got to idols. In other words, the Lord is to be our glory. God himself is to be our greatest treasure. And he is to be our first love. But when we commit idolatry, we exchange the first love for God into something less than God. And this is the root of our sin nature. Romans chapter 1 verse 23 says that in their depravity, people have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And what God does in verse 12 is call all of the heavens as a witness against his people. Look at verse 12. Be appalled at this, you heavens. And shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed how many sins? Two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So by engaging in all of this idolatry, the people of God have committed two terrible sins against the Lord. First of all, they've turned their back on God, who is the source of true water. Now, we know from reading the New Testament, Jesus is the living water. And if you want to have life, everlasting life, you've got to drink that water. All right, you with me? He is the living water. And secondly, the second sin they have committed is they've turned their faces to these lifeless idols. And he compares these lifeless idols to broken cisterns 
that can't hold water. Now, a cistern was, was nothing more or less than simply a hole that is dug in the ground to hold rainwater. But over a period of time, these cisterns would crack and they would leak the water out of them. And what would be left at the bottom was nothing more than just dirty, stagnant water. Now, why in the world would someone want to drink that dirty, stagnant cistern water when they can have a drink of a cool, clean spring water? Living water. So that's a biblical explanation of the idolatry that was going on in Jeremiah's day. But what in the world does that mean for us? I mean, how can we take this ancient passage and apply it to modern day living in 2018? Well, I think there are some practical applications. So are you still with me? Okay, let's, let's make some application of this passage. Go back to our original definition of what an idol is. And, and this time, I'd like for us to read this together, okay? So you read this with me. An idol is anyone or anything that takes the place of God as the ultimate source of meaning, fulfillment, and security in my life. Are you with me? Now, when we think about idols today, we tend to think of, of stuff like this, this, maybe this Buddhist shrine in Thailand, okay? There it is right there. I mean, really, when you think of an idol, you think of something like that, don't you? Yeah, that's an idol, right? Or, or maybe it's a picture like this. Here is a Hindu god in India right there. Now, that's a goofy-looking god, isn't it? We think, okay, that's what idols are, and we don't have those idols over here in America. I've seen both of those idols right here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I have. I've seen little statues of those two idols right here. So you know what? Really, they're, they're everywhere. But honestly, come on, be honest with me. When you think about idols, that's what you think of, right? And you think, I don't have any problem here. This is null and void, preacher. You're just, you're just blowing in the wind today because none of this applies to me. Uh-uh. Right? We have our own idols. But like this. Oh, boy. Sherry, just leave that picture up there for a second because I got a medal. I mean, I got a message. I don't know if you remember, but last week I made a statement. I said, people don't like it when you mess with their idols. Remember me saying that? You're not going to like this. You're saying, well, that, that's not an idol. That's my iPhone. That's my little handheld device. Let me tell you, for a lot of us, that has become our God. Now, don't just turn me off. Listen to me. For many of you in this room, in fact, probably most of you, that's the first thing you look up at when you wake up. You're not going to admit it, are you? It's the last thing that you look at when you go to bed at night. And if you think I'm just spitting in the wind, here's what I'd like for you to do. Keep a record. Log the time that your face is in that device or on a computer screen and uh, count all that up in a day's time, how many minutes, how many hours you spend with your face in that, and compare it to the amount of time you're spending in this. Amen. 
And you tell me what has become most important in your life. You say, oh, preacher, you're... That, no, no. Okay, let me take it a step further. When you have a problem in your life, a difficulty, you're, try, you're trying to figure something else, what do you do? You do. You Google it. How do I fix this? How do I solve this? You find a YouTube video. I mean, here's the mentality that we have. If it's on the computer, if I can Google it, it's got to be true. No, it doesn't. So instead of looking to that for answers to life's problems, why don't we look right here? Because that thing has become our our God. Man, you're getting ticked off right now, aren't you? You know what I found out? It's not just young people who do this. It's not people my age or younger. It's you old people that do it. Many of you old people, every day you're bowing down to the God of Facebook. (laughs) Oh, it's really ticking you off now, isn't it? Okay, let's move on. Something else is becoming our... Looky there. Man, that's a beaut, isn't it? That's pretty... That's sweet right there. You know what it represents. I could have put a boat up there. Boy, I'm meddling now, aren't I? Some of the best Christians I know, the worst thing they've ever done is buy a boat. (laughs) Motorcycle. I could have put a set of cowboy guns up there. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Because those things become our God. We replace the God with that God. Something else right here. Look at this. Baby. Words don't even have to be spoken there. And am I getting to you? Am I ticking you off? Am I messing with your idol? Well, if I haven't, this last one will. (laughs) Oh, man. I've done it now, haven't I? Oh, my goodness. Listen to me, church. An, An idol is something or someone that we love or we desire more than Almighty God. It is something we turn to for satisfaction in the place of God. Something we depend on. To provide our needs instead of God. Something we give priority to in the place of God. Something we talk about and look at more than God. Something that takes more of our time, our energy, and our money in the place of God. An idol, listen to me, an idol is whatever I give my best to. And I'm here to tell you. Even something good can become a God. So when does a good thing become a God thing? I think if if we are all very honest with ourselves this morning, we will have to admit to the fact that there are times that we all go into that dark place and we allow something that is good, that God has blessed us with and given to it. We allow that good thing to become a God in our life. And we worship it instead of Him. Because I'm here to tell you, an idol can take the shape of almost anything. 
An idol can take the shape, number one, of a person. You see, when a spouse or a child or a boyfriend or a girlfriend becomes the source of meaning, fulfillment, and security, we are setting ourselves up for a big crash because no other human being has the ability to provide that for us. And we will become emotionally dependent on that other person. And we will become jealous and controlling over them. Because God didn't make it where we worship other people. And I tell you, for a lot of, a lot of good Christian families have allowed this into their very homes where good parents start worshiping their kids. And their kids become more important than God. An idol can take the shape of a pleasure. You see, when eating food or sexual stimulation or comfort becomes the source of meaning, fulfillment, and security in your life, you will discover that those pleasures are never enough because you're always going to have to have more pleasure, more food, more sex, more comfort. And what follows is an addiction. And now that thing is controlling you. Number three, an idol can become a possession. When money or some possession that money buys becomes the source of your meaning, fulfillment, and security, you will find yourself compulsively worried about your stuff rather than trusting God. And your life is consumed with collecting stuff and protecting stuff. <laughs> Number four, position. Professional success is a God to many of us. If that position becomes the source of meaning, fulfillment, and security, you will be driven to work obsessively just to keep what your life has become. And you will distance yourself from the people who are most important from you. And that position is for your glory, not for God's. And you find yourself working overtime just for the job and forsaking your family because of it. What about popularity? You see, if, if, if meaning, fulfillment, and security is found only in the acceptance and the approval of others, you will become a slave to other people. And you do whatever you have to to please others. And you become more concerned about pleasing people than you do about pleasing God. What about power? When we're insecure, rather than trusting God, we obsessively try to control other people and circumstances around us. But, but we, we know we really don't have the power to control everything. And that leaves us even more insecure. And closely tied to that is the seventh idol, and that is a preference. Your opinion becomes your God. Now let me say that again. Your opinion becomes your God. Your meaning, fulfillment, and security in life is tied to your having everything exactly the way you want it. And everybody has to agree with you. Don't mess with the way I make coffee. Don't mess with the way I clean house. Don't mess with the way I like to worship. 
Because your opinion is the only one that counts. And your opinion has become your God. I love what John Calvin said. I'm, I'm, I'm not a follower of John Calvin and all of his doctrine, but this is a good thing he said. He said that all of our hearts are idle factories. Let that soak in. All of our hearts are idle factories, meaning that our hearts are constantly creating new idols all the time. And anytime we turn our face to an idol, we are literally turning our backs to God. We're forsaking the one who is the life-giving water to drink from a shallow, stagnant pool at the bottom of a broken, dirty cistern. Church, please listen to me. As the body of Christ, we are the bride of Christ. That is a biblical analogy. We are the bride of Jesus. And Jesus is jealous over us with a holy and righteous jealousy. And he's not going to allow us to run off pursuing other lovers or other loves without diligently coming after us. He is not going to allow us to bow down to idols without confronting us. 1 John 5, 21 says, Keep yourself from idols. That's not the Old Testament. It's the New Testament. That's not the nation of Israel. That's the church of Jesus Christ. John is saying that to Christians. He's saying it to people like you and me. We are to keep ourselves from idols. We have to battle this constantly. As a believer, I must always be on guard for an idol that the devil is dangling in front of me. And every day I have to do battle. In fact, here's what the New Testament says in Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Put to death... Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he makes this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Which is, it's all idolatry. Because of these, and listen to this, the wrath of God is coming. So, just like King Josiah did, the idols have got to be removed. In fact, sometimes we have to take those idols down and smash them and burn them and rid ourselves of them. What does that practically look like? Well, sometimes it means you're going to have to break up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It may mean that you have to end a friendship or a relationship. It could mean that you have to quit your job and find a different job. It might mean that you have to give up a club membership. Or you may have to sell a possession. Or cancel a cable subscription. <laughs> or clean out your refrigerator. I don't know. The list could go on and on. But look at me. Just doing that is not enough. Just smashing the idols is not enough. Sometimes... No, all the time, something else has to be done. Why? Because all of this has started in your heart. It started in your heart where we crave, desire, and enjoy and are satisfied by anything that we treasure more than God. So church, listen to me. 
the real victory comes when you not only trash your idols, but you treasure Jesus. And that needs to happen today. Maybe it was my second year at Bible College at Hillsdale, which is now Randall. It was in the fall. It's kind of crisp outside. It wasn't cold yet, but it's kind of, kind of getting cool. We had a special guest come on campus, and they were going to do kind of a, a service for that night. I don't remember what night of the week it was. It was a weird night of the week, maybe a Tuesday or Thursday. And so we all went to the gym where we had chapel, and we were sitting in the bleachers, and, and these people who were there made this presentation about back masking. Now, this is back in the early 80s. I'd never heard of backmasking. How many of you have ever even heard the term backmasking? Raise your hand. I want to see. Okay. So not, not everybody in here knows what it was. It was a big thing back in the 80s. Uh, there, was a, there was a rage going on to, you know, purge rock and roll from the Christian lifestyle. And, and the claim was that a lot of the rock and roll albums that were cut, and back then it was a vinyl album. Half of y'all don't even know what that is. Right? I should have brought one out here even though they are making a resurgence, but on, on the recording of an of a album, you could spin the thing backwards while it was trying to turn forwards. Okay, you with me? So you start an album, you put the needle on, it's playing music, and you hear the music, but if you take your finger and turn the thing backwards, there's this subliminal message that you can actually hear. And the theory was, this was all the work of the devil. The devil is orchestrating all of this. And he's using bands like Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, you've heard, you've heard uh, Helter Skelter, yeah, uh, uh, Eagles, Hotel California, I mean, uh, Stairway to Heaven, all these songs. They have backmasking going on. And I mean, we, we were listening to this and sitting there, and, I, and they were literally doing it. And at first it was kind of hard to hear because it's, it's a creepy voice that you hear. It, you know, it, it really is evil sounding, but, but and it's hard to hear it. But if you listen to it enough, you can kind of pick these words up. And some of them would say, worship the devil. Literally, it is creepy, isn't it? Satan is God. Kill babies. I mean, literally, we heard all this stuff. Now, the, I'm not lying about this. Y'all have heard this, haven't you? Some of y'all, you've, you've heard it. And I mean, it's, it scared us to death, man. With all these Bible college kids, we're scared to death. And, you know, because we all had these albums back in our dorm room. We were all raised on this rock and roll music, man. We had it in our car. And I tell you what, there's just, there just this heavy spirit of conviction that fell on the students that were there. And here's what happened. We went back to our room, and, and some of us who had these albums, we literally did it on our albums in our room. And it, you could hear, worship the devil. I mean, freak. <laughs> <laughs> So we got fired up, man. Revival broke out at Hillsdale campus. We, we went out in front of the boys' dorm and we started a bonfire. A little bonfire going. Everybody went back to their dorm rooms. They drug out all their albums and all their eight tracks. <laughs> Literally. New thing was cassettes. Some of us had cassettes, but most eight tracks. And we, we took all this stuff out there. It was hundreds of dollars worth of music. And we poured it on the fire and we burned it. Hallelujah! 
We're ridding, we're ridding our campus of this devil music. Praise the Lord. Woo! Man, it felt great. <laughs> that was in the fall. Here's what I noticed. By spring, by spring break, most of the guys who had burned all that stuff had went back to the store and rebought, <laughs> rebought all those albums. You know why? You can trash your idols. You can smash them. You can burn them. But if you don't replace it with the love for Jesus Christ and treasure Jesus, you're just going to go right back to whatever it was you were worshiping. You can get real convicted about the time you spend on your iPhone looking at other stuff and say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the Bible. Bless God, I'm going to read the Bible. That may last two days. Because if the heart doesn't change, your life is not going to change. Now, why in the world is this so important to God? Well, I think it's the same reason it's so important to me. Because I realize, you know what, if I just do life and I don't give attention to this, I'm going to fall into that trap myself, even as a preacher. You know what? Because I can allow even the things of God, church stuff, I can allow church to become my God. And instead of worshiping God, I'm worshiping stuff that we do here at church. Because I put more value on it than I do on Him. And literally, this can happen with anything, anyone. And so church, it's a wake-up call. This morning, I'm asking you to wake up and for you to come down to the altar and to pray this very simple prayer. Lord, Lord Jesus, please open my heart. And dear Lord, if I have turned my back to you and my face toward any idol, would you please show me that? Reveal that in my life today. Because Lord, I don't want to worship idols. I want to worship you. Listen, if you're honest and you will pray that prayer, if you have allowed any idol to come into your life, God is going to show that to you. Why? Because he's jealous for your love. He'll reveal it to you. And you know what? You can take care of it here at the altar. You can trash your idol as you treasure your Jesus.